I love it when a plan comes. I don't know. I can't remember how did Hannibal sound in the A Team. In my head, it's <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. But he didn't sound like that at all. Yeah, it wasn't quite that extreme. I mean, he did have a little bit of a you know a stern I'm Hannibal voice. Yeah, uh, I love I it when a, a plan really good, comes together. Yeah, but that's really like John Wayne. T. It's just my, a John Wayne. My Mr. T impression is spot on. Right? It's, yeah. uh, it's like, I love it when they don't let me on a plane, sucker. <laughs> All right? And then there was the other two. Scooby and Shaggy. Was it Face and... Um, Face and Murdoch. Yeah. It was Face and Murdoch. And they were like, I'm Face and Murdoch. <laughs> and that's... That's how you do all of the eighteen. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird how I never noticed. Uh, I guess just not being able to see them and only hearing their voices, I didn't realize how similar they were. If the A team were a radio play, they'd have been screwed. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't been able to tell the difference. It would all have been like, "Face, you go do that," but Hannibal, stop smoking a cigar, uh, and people listening would be like, "Is Murdoch saying that?" Well, it really limits you on the writing, because yeah. you have to include yeah. everybody's names anytime they're addressed or spoken about. Well, in the radio version of the A-Team, they thought they'd get around that by giving the van a voice and making the van a character. They thought an extra character would add to it, but the van sounded like everyone else. Right. Just get in me and drive me around, A-Team! So, welcome to the spin-off Doctors. <laughs> In the movie boys, whatever you want to call it. I'm Jim Sterling, and I'm joined by Conrad Zimmerman. Hello. Hello, Jim. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I watched uh, Castlevania on Netflix. Yeah. Recently, that was good. That that was actually, yes, I think that is the word. It was. Yeah. It was good. That was actually pretty legit. I thought it was. Uh, what's the word? Um, entertaining. Yes, it was it was entertaining. It the writing's interesting. I Okay. So it's written by Warren Ellis. Yes, that it is. And I have a very soft spot in my heart for Warren Ellis. That would allow me to overlook all sorts of writing sins. <laughs> uh, Transmetropolitan is quite possibly my favorite comic book series ever published. Um I was a big fan of a lot of his like mid two thousands comic work uh, that you know, he had like six series going simultaneously. None of them came to any sort of satisfying conclusion, and that's I think the thing I've learned about Warren Ellis is that uh, you know you got to make sure the work is finished before you start, or the satisfying ending won't come. And so we have Netflix. <laughs> season one of Castlevania. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a weird series, like, in terms of structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did see when it first came out, because I didn't see it when it first came out, because I was in the hospital when it was out. Right. And then I just, I never got around to picking it up. Uh, I did watch the first episode shortly after I went out of hospital, but then didn't follow up with the rest of it. Um, I did much the same thing. I watched the first episode, I think, the day that the show released, and then didn't proceed past that point until we did this. Yeah, and I feel like it's like the pacing of that might might be what stopped people getting into it some more. And some people did say it would have been better served not being serialized and being made a short film. Or well, I mean, it wouldn't even be a short film; it'd be a fairly lengthy film. Um, well, 
I no, I mean this this it, opening it's like chapter. Four twenty minute, twenty four minute episodes. I forget how long they are. Yeah, I mean it, it come out to just about ninety minutes. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty standard. Uh, yeah, it's it's not that far off. And it was originally the plan for this was originally to be a uh, direct to video feature length. Yeah. And I get um, some sense from that. The same sense I got from Resident Evil Revelations 2, the mm-hmm. video game, where it felt like it didn't need to be episodic and some of the the, the, the the points at which the game cut, you feel like this was meant to be one like long solo piece and you've cut it into segments after the fact. And you can always tell that versus something that's actually designed to be episodic because those episodes have their own distinct beginning, middles, and endings. Whereas things that are cut up afterwards feel a little bit more random and scattershot when they end. And that's the same feeling I get here as I got in Revelations 2 and several other um, forms of entertainment that do it, is what you said, that, that it was originally planned to be a solo thing and then got snipped up yeah and and it's i think part of it is that the the pacing of the episodes it is there's a lot of downtime yeah uh, in 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 the animation um lots of uh you know slow panning scenes or you know just walking a little as bit. much as i enjoyed it and i did enjoy it a lot I was surprised by how much of nothing going on there was. Not a yeah. lot really happens throughout the whole thing. It's it's all thoroughly entertaining, but not much of note really. I was surprised that nothing truly Castlevania-ish happens even. Um, like, I was at least expecting to see a Medusa Red fly about. I was looking forward to at least a nod to it, right. but I didn't spot it. Um, it was a good story and everything. Mm-hmm. But at times felt more like an anime attempt at Dark Souls than Castlevania, with some of the, the bleakness of it and the way it, everything was was designed around this corrupt religious thing. And, that's, which... and it's such a... It's, like, <laughs> it's so obvious that it's Warren Ellis writing it, too, because, um, because of how he's taken you know the story of Castlevania and really made the catholic church the villain here oh yeah 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 um, and it, it draws a little bit from the lords of shadow series a little which, bit which you know ha- has some leanings on on corruption in catholicism and if i recall correctly it's been many 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 years but i re- if i remember the first lords of shadow had uh, patrick stewart as the evil catholic at the end right. like although I think, in in fairness yeah. in fairness to the uh the film uh, that script predates Lords of Shadow by about th- uh, three years. Oh, well. See, yeah. I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah, this uh, script so... was originally developed by Warren Ellis uh, in 2007, and it just took them 10 years to get it made. There were some production hell issues, apparently, with the uh, Frederator company that was producing it and, uh... Uh, and so forth. So, yeah, it's that... What, and the other the other aspect of it is the you know the science versus faith element and the the presentation of Dracula's castle as being a place not of mysticism for which he clearly is involved as well but also a a scientific uh, foundation 
for it, which I think is really interesting. And you can see the elements of that throughout the story, how it, it is they have some sort of, the immortals have some sort of technological advantage that has put them far beyond people in a respect that's different from just magical knowledge. Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting technology and and magic combination that I'm hoping that we get to see a little more fleshed out uh, as it develops because I think it's a cool twist on on the castle as a character. Uh, we've always seen the 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 gear clock tower levels and things like that. Yeah. And I don't want to say it felt out of place. But it, it felt for, you know, like a Middle Ages thing. It's like, huh, this is kind of interesting, uh, especially once you got into Symphony of the Night and you'd see some of these laboratory rooms and things like that. Yeah, the, yeah, I remember the, the first time I entered the, the lab area and it, it really is a striking thing. Really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, standing out amongst the rest of it and it uh, was adopted in the future ones a lot more. But uh, yeah, yeah so that, this, this that was a great takes level. that takes that visual language from Symphony of the Night and, and, and further games. And, and this is really, this is a Castlevania three Dracula's curse story. That's, that's what we have here. Yeah. Um, the retelling of that. Also, uh, um, Alucard is voiced by James Callis, who I love, uh, love that actor. He played Ga- uh, Gaius Baltar in the, uh, Battlestar Galactica remake with Edward James Olmos in it. I didn't recognize him, but that is, I love him. He's he's great. Fantastic. Yeah. If, you've, if you've not seen the, the Edward James Olmos Battlestar Galactica, highly recommend it. I, I watched it many years after. It's one of those shows that are better to watch now that it's done, so that yeah. you're not waiting years to see the whole thing, and then you feel disappointed because the ending wasn't what you wanted it to be. Uh, I never had a problem with the the latter seasons of it because I watched it in all that one go. Some some shows benefit from that, uh, like the Castlevania here does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't really want to watch it one episode a week. You want to kind of watch it as a film and uh, with credits in the middle that <laughs> you just skip. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wonder. I wonder if. I mean, I'm hopeful that when the second season comes out with the remaining two parts to this story, um, that it does feel satisfying at the end. And it is a, a thing that that if you binge it, it feels good because I mean, here this it's just set up. Yeah, that's the, the other thing as as well. Yeah, this is more of a precursor. And, and again, part of the reason why I was just startled with the nothing happening is it, it really does end before the quest even really begins. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the, the quest has just formed before it's whoop, no more. And it's a bit shitty because so much of the story up to that point is kind of dawdling. So there is no big satisfying moment. Um, and I know that what happens is what they want to be the big satisfying moment, but it just isn't. It's It's not. Yeah, uh, it's it's not it, it's it's very lacking in a this was a good strong triumphant end. It was just oh, but I was oh, is that it? Can, can I not get anything tied up nicely to keep me going until the next one? I mean, it um, does it does have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like, yeah, there is a problem. The there is a resolution to said problem. So I mean, it is a a little bit a little act. 
Yeah, but at the same time, thing. it's it's a more like a prologue you'd get at the beginning of a book before yep. the real story starts. Uh, it's something that's just supposed to tantalise you to start chapter one. And as as enjoyable as this is to watch, as just a, a display of some really enjoyable voice acting, I love the voice acting in this. Uh, mm-hmm. Trevor Belmont is, is a joy to watch stagger about drunkenly and, and Richard Armitage did a great yes. job. Yeah. Uh, just, just this perpetual cynic. It's really good. To and not, not at all what I expected. No, no. Yeah. No, you kind of expect you hear Belmont and you just see, you know, probably the, the iconic, the real iconic, no Ubisoft iconic figure looking up at the castle with whip in hand. And, and instead you... we get spike from cowboy bebop. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, no, not the the stoic hero type character at all. Uh, he's drunk. He's belligerent. He's rude. He's selfish. He's playful. Um, playful. Very, yeah, very dry. Um, and and somewhat nasty sense of humor, um, but but very fun to watch. Uh, like a, a almost a moral hero, but you know leaning towards morality and, and has uh, a bit of growth as, as the story goes on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, just don't expect to be, you know, drowning in, in loads of cool Castlevania imagery. Well, and, uh, I mean, it what, seems like they're saving a lot of that. How far you know, your history with Castlevania goes back to like all the way, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I've played, uh, I've, I don't think I've played all of them. But, you know, I've played from the first up to, uh, what was it, Lords of Shadow 2, I think was the last one I played. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played, I think, most of them, um, maybe not extensively. Um, I, I loved Symphony of the Night, of course, that was the one that I spent most of my time with. Um, until a certain someone in the house saved over the save file that had all of my stuff, all of the stuff on it, oh. like including that sword that you get by going in and out of that screen and hitting the skeleton and uh, I think they're the was it like the, the Nova skeletons? skeletons um like over and over until they get that drop that is really really fucking hard to get um like I had that and I don't even play games that extensively nowadays I can't so you'll never have it again to do. so yeah I will never do that again um well well it was great, though. It was great to play. Um, and the portable ones, I absolutely adored. I, I was The, GB, the run of games job. they had on GBA were amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. So and the good. DS ones, um, all of them were really good. Uh, which one was it? It was... Oh, God. See, I can't remember all their names because they got those big flowery names. Yeah. Uh, Dawn of... of Sorrow? Yeah, Dawn of Sorrow. That was the one. Um that one made me terrible at my uh, day job, well, my night job, uh, when I worked at the cab office, because I was too busy playing that. Um, once I got the, the manticore tail and was just using that to just sweep with a big scorpion stinger all across the screen, going, ah, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't want to answer calls to hear from some pillock who was at the fucking venue who wanted to go back to fucking, you know, some sh- shithouse in... Fucking, where was it? Where, New Cross? New whatever it was. Fucking. 
I uh, trying to beat me up on that fucking street. I have right. a tremendous soft spot in particular for Castlevania Two, um, the uh, uh, Simon's Quest, the one that takes the dramatic uh, left turn out of the you know sort of straightforward level by level design of the original Castlevania and subsequent Castlevanias until it hits uh, Symphony of the Night, yeah, uh, <laughs> and. And tries for that more open world approach. I really enjoy that. I think mechanically it's fascinating. The The translation, of course, makes it verge on unplayable without yes. a, a walkthrough, unfortunately. But uh, the way that game used its experience system and its time systems, um, really revolutionary. Just way ahead of its time. And, you know, it's it was it was Dark Souls before it was Dark Souls. And I, I appreciated that. I thought it was a really cool design. So that's, that's in my heart, that's my favorite. But I think, um, not Circle of the Moon, but the one that came after on, on GBA was probably my, my favorite of the games to play. Um, with the exception being Symphony of the Night, because everybody's favorite is probably Symphony of the Night. Everyone loves Symphony of the Night. I, mean, I, still, get, I still get acid flashbacks. <laughs> from from Symphony of the Night um, every once in a while if I'm playing. And I will pop it in and play it you know, once or twice a year, even just for a couple of hours, because it feels so good to play. Mm-hmm. Like, um, everything about it is just thoroughly lovable. Like, the music is fantastic. The, the visual design is amazing. I love the level, like, the... Mm-hmm. the the aesthetic of the levels. Each area feels so distinct and different. And the, uh, and the monsters. Are good. Oof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way Alucard, uh, like the, the cape flowing. And even it is that backdash like, that serves no yes. function other than to be <laughs> awesome. Oh, fuck. That's really. Oh. Now, now I've just remembered that, um, that, that, that Kickstarter game's coming out Bloodstained. Mm, that's finally oh, coming, huh? Yeah, I played a demo of that way back when, and just that in the really early stage was really fucking like gratifying to play. See, the so it art like in that really doesn't. Carry that off. The art doesn't hit me in that. No. Yeah. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll probably still play it because I'm interested, but yeah. Ugh. Did you ever play any of the uh, the 3D Castlevanias before Lords of Shadow? I never played Castlevania 64. I did play the PS2 one that I can't remember the name of now, but people didn't like all that much. But I found some enjoyment from it. I And did, I don't even... Uh, did the PS2 one... I guess that might have released in the States. Maybe uh, it did. Oh, yeah, there, might, there was a period. It was around that time when some games were just coming out in Europe, especially if they weren't very good, like the Altered Beast quote-unquote remake. Well, reboot. there were... There were a couple of versions of Castlevania 64. Like, there was the first release, and then there was a sequel, but it was really more of the same, I think, or something like that. Yeah, when, when the game went 3D, I mean, in general, the, the 3D doesn't interest me. Um, and, and I kind of, I prefer franchises that have always existed as 3D franchises, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And part of that's just me being a dick, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, liking things the way they were back when I knew what they were. But also, I just don't think they're as much fun. I don't think they've been as well made. Um, I, I've, I've played Lords of Shadow. Um, I, 
I wanted to like it. And then Lords of Shadow 2 was coming out, and I really wanted to like that one. Uh, I did not the, like that one at all. Uh... Yeah. And, and when, I, when I got around to reading the reviews, uh, I said, well, okay, then I'm not going to not gonna go there. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, be angry. I drew ire for my thoughts on the first Lords of Shadow, which I, uh-huh. I really thought was dreary. I did not like it at all, and the second one was worse than that. Um, I understand some people like it. Fair play to them. I mean, I'm yeah. not I'm not a Castlevania expert. Uh, I like the series well enough, but as you can tell from my what I've been saying here, I'm not intensely knowledgeable on the series. Um, like I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head the ones I played and, and have anything to say about. Um, it's like I played the the SNES one all the way through. Uh, I really like that one. Um, and the, the co-op one was interesting. As that an was idea, interesting. Harmony of Despair. Um, I can't even remember what I thought of it now. I don't even remember if I liked it or not. Uh, I just remember the concept at least being intriguing. And it was so dependent on multiplayer, though. And I think it that was, was yes. know, the problem for me. Because um, I just don't have friends. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have anybody all my friends, to do that stuff with. Outside of Justin... Uh, all my other like local friends don't like video games, so uh, I know I need to get a way out and play that with Justin. Um, but but otherwise, like it's, it's like that Sea of Thieves that came out. Um, aside from the fact that even with friends, there's not much going on. It's right. not enough to make me try and convince people to play it to to play it as it should be played. But even then, a game that relies on multiple people having to contrive their own fun. That's several games have been like that and they're not for me. Like if if at that point if I'm just playing pirates, I'll get an actual pirate hat. Yeah. Do it in the garden. <laughs> no, I Ooh, yeah. Battleby can be my skip or whatever it is. What what's that the seaman? The skipper. Seaman Bartleby. <laughs> Yeah, I and I'm. And there was never, that, I, by the way, just sorry, I don't want to talk over you, but I just got to say there was never a character on Captain Pugwash called Seaman Staines, <laughs> or Roger the Cabin Boy. It is an urban legend, and I was so dis- I spent my childhood delighted at that idea, but then I grew up and found out it was all a lie. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no, and I wonder how much of that too is a function of us getting older. You know, and having responsibilities and lives. And, like, life becomes a whole lot more complex once you start getting into your mid to late 20s, your That's early true, 30s. Yeah. I used to play and, co-op a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's not and it's not just your life, you know? It's the lives of all of the other people that you interact with. Like, their lives have gotten more complicated, too. And I... And then what you wind up doing is you wind up playing with random groups online and they're all consisting of people in their late teens, early 20s who, you know, have that kind of time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's there's 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 very little attraction to me in doing that kind of stuff without people that I already know and can have a relationship with and could form a team or do whatever that is, uh, let alone people i have no idea screaming and howling and i don't understand how people like play fortnite battle royale mm-hmm. why do they yeah. do that <laughs> i i can't i i it, i hate hearing about that game because yeah. 
it just reminds me that I am always out of touch. And that's right. one of several reasons why I am not popular and will always be a D-lister. Because every popular game I just can't get into. Can't, couldn't get into League of Legends. Never got into World of Warcraft. Um, PUBG... I played it and enjoyed it enough, but it, it wasn't for me. Fortnite, I, I, I don't get on with all that much. But they're the ones people playing, like that guy who was on fucking Twitch can just play it, and then it's like, oh, now I'm, like, more famous than Drake, probably. <laughs> the world's passing us by, Jim. I know, I'm just, like, old and broken. <laughs> well, speaking and of old... they're going to find me, like, the stat in the top of that building, that old house, like they did an interview with a vampire. And now you can say, speaking of vampires as well. well to do yeah, yeah I was going to say, you know, speaking <laughs> of the world moving past us and, and destroying our dreams, um, Castlevania. Yeah. You want to... Movie, movie, boys. Movie, movie, boys. Movie, movie, boys. Movie, movie, boys. Dun, 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 dun. I can never do that bit. That is, it's it's completely in opposition and toned that song to what we're about to dive into. Well, well played, sir. <laughs> Wallachia, 1455. The path to Dracula's castle is lined with skeletons on pikes. I was really pissed off at this first bit. Because yeah. I then spent the entire show, every episode, looking forward to seeing Black Panther. <clears throat> he didn't turn up, even though they said it was in Wakalia. <laughs> uh, I still haven't seen Black Panther. I was going to go this yet. week. I haven't yet. Oh, God. But it's, 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 it, uh, yeah, do we have to like make the excuses? Like, no, I wanted to go see Black Panther. I, I really did. It. You've got to be like, you got to try and be really liberal about it and be like, like I, I really did want to, but I was trapped in a war. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a protest. I got caught. I couldn't get yeah. out. I wanted I to go see the movie. I don't think we can let people know we haven't seen it. <laughs> Because it's it's the it's the most popular film in the world, Conrad. It's gonna completely destroy our reputation as upstanding movie boys. Yeah, yeah, like like your premium movie boys will be downgraded to like journeyman movie boys, which is bad because then man and boys in the same fucking term, which will just cause an identity crisis. Why are we the only two people in the world who haven't seen it? Oh God, I bet even like David Duke has seen it. My wife probably went and saw it and didn't tell me. Oh, that's the kind of thing she'd do. I've seen her do that before. Uh, she's just I know she's just looking at me, judging me, like... Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Can't believe I married this man who won't even go see Black Panther. And again, it's not that I don't want to. I want to. Yeah. I once saw her walking out of the movie theater where they were showing Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and she looked at me, which proves that she did it. She didn't tell you. I'm just trying to imagine my <laughs> wife going to see Freddy's Dead the final. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> oh, she'd love that. Oh, can, it'd be when dead. I'm next in town, can we all watch Freddy's Dead the final? I'm nightmare? sure we could arrange that. <laughs> so a blonde woman stabs a bat on the steps of Dracula's castle and makes her oh, way fuck. inside. I forgot that's what we were talking about <laughs> quite legitimately. 
And it just it comes, but that does come out of nowhere. That that bat stabbing. It, it yeah yeah. There's just a bat. There's a whole bunch of bats flying through the the pike lined path, and then we get a close up of a bat and a blade going through its back. It's just. Oh yeah, if you don't like seeing bats get stabbed, don't don't. I mean, this is don't it, with it's this. worth noting that this is violent. Oh it, hell yeah yeah, this is a a brutal little show. Yeah. And, like, and not the worst I've seen out of anime, but oh, no, like, it, no, it so gets pre- there's blood and and stuff. Yeah, it's it, it, and there's a bat getting stabbed in the like first minute. So she she goes inside. She walks through this great hall and sees Dracula on a landing and calls out to him, saying that she wants to be a doctor, not a witch. There's a, a distinction there. Like they do make you determine on your GCSE exams which one you're going for. Right, yeah. Witching or doctoring. Yep, and and let me tell you... Some people tried to blend the two and take a witch-doctor course, but it's very niche. It's a difficult double major. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they say, what, like, less than 5% actually graduate? Yeah, if if that, if that. And and actually, the witching schools are, are a lot more selective. Uh, I mean, it's difficult just to even get into them. That's why we have so many doctors today. Yes, yes. Well, you know, everyone wants to be a witch, but when they actually see how much coursework there is, they can't hack it. No, they they can't hack it, or they get grossed out. They get grossed out. Oh, the tinctures. Oh, you know, it's like, look, okay? If if you're worried, if you're grossed out by some some, some chicken guts... Mm-hmm. You know, little goat's blood. Maybe. Oh, you I have just... to stand near a frog. Yeah, go go be a doctor. All right, go go be a GP or or or, or some sort of uh, heart surgeon or something like that. Leave the witching to the people who can hack it. Yeah, go perform complex heart surgery and leave the real work to the witches. So when Dracula asks this blood woman what she has to offer in exchange. <laughs> She suggests that she could teach him some manners and complains about not having been offered a drink. It's, I mean, here we are in the first, like, three minutes and already the, the, the humor of this, the sort of uh, uh, cynical, dry, witty dialogue uh, starts coming out and setting, uh, well, changing the tone because we start with <laughs> violent... And it never gets wacky with its humor, but there is this undercurrent of... Of sarcastic comic relief just to keep the whole thing from being too dark. Yeah, because it could have been super dour. Really, yes. really dour. And and I don't know that the humor fits really well. It's, yeah, there, there is a bit of a dissonant tone sometimes, for sure. It's There's often a bit of a surprise when it arrives. And it doesn't necessarily feel like, a, oh, that was really clever. It was like, oh, you had to put a joke in here. <laughs> uh, a yeah, little I can, bit. Uh, yeah, I can see that, yeah. Um, so Dracula threatens her, but she blows it off with some self-deprecation about her breath. Uh, he suggests all of these sort of superstitious vampiric countermeasures that she could be planning to employ and mentions garlic. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I ate some roasted garlic for lunch. (laughs) And I love that. I, yeah, that charmed the fuck out of me. Um, and she casts superstition aside, expressing a desire to be a proper healer of men. Um, he asks where the, the village she's from is located. 
She notes that he doesn't get out much, probably should. Uh, they enter an enormous laboratory that she's super into. And he's kind of into her because here's this person who's clearly not afraid of him, it seems. And, and challenges. I mean, can you imagine being an immortal being? How intrigued you'd be by someone who would take any effort to challenge your worldview? Yeah. I, 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 this, this works for me. I could see this happening. It, it's it, it's got this sort of almost hokey Disney Beauty and the Beast thing going on. Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, the, the, I mean the whole thing is very charming. Yeah, I'm not. I am not super into the idea of humanizing Dracula. Um, I don't, yeah, Lord of Shadow does that a lot as well. Yeah, I don't think Dracula needs a motivation to be evil as a character. Yeah, we all pretty much know what Dracula is about by now. Yeah, and uh, and, and the manner in which, like, say, the, the comparison between, say, Francis, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula and the way in which it sort of, it made the attempt at giving Dracula a justification, a reasoning for becoming the monster he becomes, that one was a little more understated to some degree, I think. Uh, or at least not, like, immediately thrown in your face. Uh, still violent, still... Uh, but it was more... The rage felt more earned than it does here. And... I don't know. I think... I just don't, I don't know that it was necessary. I don't care for the Lisa character, yeah. and I don't miss her, really, when she's gone. I think that's a symptom of a lot of modern storytelling now is this constant need to give everything a backstory, which in turn inevitably humanizes a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because you don't, if you're delving into someone's story, so it's predominantly their perspective or at least adjacent to it, it's difficult to make them an unapologetic monster and still make that a, a compelling storyline that can support itself. So inevitably, because people demand to know every little bit about everything... Uh, or at least uh, uh, those making the, the entertainment believe that's what the audience demands. Um, there's very little mystery left anymore and everything's relatable. Uh, which is a shame, because you're right, I think someone like Dracula is best served as as, as more of a goal than, than uh, an antagonist even. Uh, he's what's at the end of the journey. Mm -hmm. um, uh, defeating him is the story itself. Uh, you don't need much more than that. Having Dracula humanized does not serve to make me more invested in Belmont's story. Right. And and in fact it it what it seems to be setting up is that we're supposed to be invested in Dracula. And I don't see a need for that necessarily. And and maybe in the second two portions of this that are coming next year this year, I guess. Maybe. Maybe this year or next. Maybe that will be earned. You know, maybe. maybe. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if it's if it leads somewhere that actually does serve the story, then sure, go for it. Um, but if it is just there to... To just instill because, the motivation for the uh, implacable, you know, evil villain. Yeah. I don't see a yeah. point. Yeah, that's it. Like, it just... That, it, Villains are not always served by having us know about their personal lives and their tragic pasts. 
some villains work just because they're villains. Like I wish, I wish Ridley Scott knew that, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So we have to learn every little bit about the aliens. Or like Star Wars, nothing can ever be a mystery in Star. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid we we don't know what's under a mask, or we don't know where such and such came from, or we don't know what that screw that had fallen off a counter and was on the floor in the background for three seconds. Where did it go? Well, where, where did now. that where did that screw go? What droid was it on? And did that droid meet Han Solo? Of course it did. Everyone's got a grudge against Han Solo. Fuck's sake. Um, but yeah, bit of a tangent, but that's, I've got an issue with a lot of entertainment having to over explain everything. Mm-hmm. Everything's got a backstory. Everything's relatable. Everything's Everything like, has no, a justification. A, yeah. Yeah. That's an issue. It's like, maybe some things aren't justifiable friends and some, yeah. And, and let and, them be that. And you some, know? you know, some things do need justification. Like we, we harp on that a lot here. You know, and I want to make that cl- that clear that I'm not going back on the idea of like, oh, you don't need to explain your shit. No, some of your shit needs to be explained. But well, that's it. Yeah, when it doesn't work without explanation, yeah. is the thing. If something doesn't work without explanation, if you're just puzzled as to well, why, well, why the fuck? Like nobody would be puzzled as to why a vampire and Dracula, no less, is doing evil shit. Right. It's a vampire. It's Dracula. No less. I mean, I blame the masquerade for that's true. You know, making us think about these monsters as uh, as something more than just monsters. It's well, they're just priming us to think it's reasonable. Should the masquerade ever fall? Right. Yeah. No, they're just this. They're just uh, seeding for for a harvest, um, and that harvest is us. Like monsters yeah. are are out there, and uh, at least the sub- at least they're honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they're not lying. <laughs> 20 years later in Targovist, a bunch of Catholics are burning the woman at the stake. Oh, they love doing that. They're a bugger for a burning. They, they, it's a good time had by all. Uh, got the whole community out there cheering it on. Uh, a bishop played by my good dear friend who has never met me and would never acknowledge it if he had, Matt Frewer. <laughs> Who I adore so much, um, put to good use here actually, and 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 getting to act like he does not sound like Matt Frewer. And Matt Frewer's no, voice no. is not super distinctive, but he does have some things about him that he tends to uh, do over the top really well. In fact, I was just uh, wife was just watching Altered Carbon. Which is, you know, another Netflix series and, and a book that I bought and read twenty pages of and put on a shelf and thought, boy, I'm never dealing with that again. Um, yeah. And but she watched it. Matt Frewer's in that and deliciously, like over the top, playful, silly, you know, the kind of thing and and sinister at the same time. The kind of thing that he does really, really well. This is subdued, but still vicious. Still sinister. Uh, it Most does not certainly. have. It doesn't have that uh, exuberance and energy, and so I was a bit taken aback. Loved him in it, especially as it gets into the the fourth episode of this. Um, 
So the uh, the bishop says he's found machinery and glass in her basement. Therefore, she's a witch. You know, had all of this scientific shit. Uh, and the archbishop apparently likes things kept simple. He likes to keep the villagers dumb. Or uh, in the words of a Julie Brown song that I very nearly bought on vinyl this past week, I like them big and stupid. Uh, which is from the soundtrack to the film Girls, uh, what is it? Girls Like It Easy? Uh, Us girls like Earth, it Earth easy? Girls Are Easy, that's it. Earth Girls Are Easy, starring Jeff Goldblum. Uh, uh, one of the weigh-ins, Damon, Damon Wayans and uh, Jim Carrey and <laughs> Gina yeah. Davis. What a fucking cast. Hell of a cast. Hell of a cast. Uh, really not great movie, but good fun tunes. Uh, so she, she cries out to, to the, uh, she cries out to Dracula as she's burning, asking that she show them mercy. And now we're into our opening credits. So cool. Um, Dracula returns to the smoking crater of a house and finds an old woman there who informs him that they are currently burning Lisa over in Targovist, if he wants to go check that out. Um, referring to her as his wife now. And, it, and 20 years has passed. Uh, I, I, don't, I think I mentioned that. But you did, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, he's too late to do anything about it, so he's pretty pissed and decides that this whole acting like a person thing is bullshit and that people in general are bullshit, as he previously thought. And he tells the old woman to take her family and leave before he teleports away into a column of flame. Uh, She seems a little concerned. Back at the cathedral, Lisa's body finally crumbles to the cheers of the crowd. They're all... Oh, they love it. They, They have never seen anything. In their life as good as a woman crumbling after burning in front of their children. And the bishop That's what they did the... for entertainment back then. They didn't have cable. No, no. Uh, you had to find different ways yeah. of entertaining yourself. They couldn't watch Kitchen Nightmares. Mm-hmm. They had to burn their own women. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and recently it had become unpopular to have uh, Christians be devoured by lions. That's true. That's so... fallen out of vogue. Yeah. Um... The bishop laments that he has but one life to ruthlessly root out and destroy whatever his religion deems as evil. And Dracula then appears as a disembodied head of flame, demanding to know why they've killed his wife. Uh, when the I mean, a reasonable question. Oh, yeah, that seems fair. The bishop's kind of a dick about it. And Dracula gives them a year to sort their shit out before he's going to return and wipe Targovist off the map. Again, amazingly reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. For a guy raging. I mean, apparently it's just going to take him that much time to build an adequate army. Like, Yeah. I guess summoning from the bowels of hell takes time. At this point, I'm like, well, the entire village delighted in burning and murdering people. So I'm not on their side at all. Dracula's 100% in the right. He's not much of a villain. No, not really. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering what are the logistics of summoning an army from hell? Yeah. Right. Because it's going to take him like a this. year. He didn't have to warn him. No, he didn't. He could have just shown up one day. He gave him a heads up. 
Uh, but but do you, do you have to summon every demon individually? Like, I bet there are like if there are some you really want to get to, there's still an order. So you've still got to get like a load of one summon that you might not necessarily want to get to the ones you like, maybe. I mean, so you think about like, okay, it takes a year, right? Is that one at a time, or do you like open up a big portal, and and they just sort of work their way through, and then how do they get to the portal in hell? Like, are they yeah. already amassing there? It's maybe it's like like video games. Like he 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 goes like opens up a book or the portal or whatever. But it's like, you know, you've ordered the 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 ten minion pack, but they get they ain't got no weapons. Mm. And you gotta buy that as a separate pack. Oh, and, and a whole and bunch could, of other add-ons. Like, do you want them to have like little skeleton horses? Oh, and I'm sure there's countdowns for all of this stuff. Of course, but you can pay a little extra to speed them up. Yeah, but Dracula's not like that. He's like, you know no. what? No, I'm not gonna waste the extra money just to I'll wait the year. It's fine. It's fine. I'll wait the year before I can click on my Hell Army. Yes. Uh, in Castlevania, Drac works out some of his aggression on a couple of books and explains to the audience that it's going to take him that year to summon the army from Hell. And then someone unidentifiable confronts him, and the two have a fighting, but we don't get to see it. And one year later... The Archbishop of Targovist is holding an event to celebrate how they're all still here in spite of Dracula's warning. Bit, uh, bit presumptuous, maybe. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, if, okay. I'd have at least put some more walls up. I'll put, I'll put it this way, all right? When the gas company sends me a letter and says, you haven't paid your gas bill in three months, we're going to shut it off on the second unless you have paid an amount of money prior to the second, right? Mm -hmm. And then you pay them that amount. You want to make sure that the gas isn't going to be turned off. So you, you get the specifics. You ask questions. You say, okay, so are we covered? Is it going to actually be on the second that I have to pay? Or would it be, you know, the third that it actually gets shut off? And as long as I pay on the second, we're fine, right? You see this hypothetical? They did not do this. And so on the day that Dracula had made this proclamation, they're like, hey, we're having a fucking party. He was like, no, dude, you forgot. Like, the clock starts, like, after he says it. And you're partying too soon. You got to wait till yeah. tomorrow. You got to go a year and a day, morons. I mean, honestly, like, considering, like I said, the lack of, of preparation... They didn't even put anything up. Yeah, they did nothing um, to prepare for Dracula's arrival, other like, than pray, I guess. Other than do a bit of praying and then <laughs> throw a, a, a big, basically a slap-up grill and a nice party. And I just don't think, somehow, I don't think they took the giant flaming vampire head seriously. <laughs> I don't think they took him, I think they believed it was an empty threat. Well, they 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 believe that that the devil lies always, so you know can, nothing true. he says could be trusted. Um, That's what gets you into trouble. So the archbishop delivers an over-the-top speech about how oh you know Satan's a liar. The skies become cloudy and blood starts raining, followed by some yeah. chunky-looking demon things, like some fetal demons are falling out. Oh of yeah, the sky. yeah, that bit was awesome. Um, the, the cathedral itself is consumed by a fiery vortex, 
out of which Dracula's face appears again, and Totes calls them on celebrating the death of his wife. Yeah, I hate to baby rain on your parade, he says, but fuck you. From the ruins of the cathedral, Castlevania rises up, and all of its windows open to let flying demons out to kill all the people. That's what they get. And once this is done, he sends the demons to go move on and destroy all of Wallachia. Yep, and here's the thing. If you didn't already side with Dracula on any of this, at this point, you're at least on his side because of just how stupid these people are. That they don't prepare, they don't take it seriously, and then they throw a fucking preemptive party. (laughs) At that point... They are asking for winged demons to slaughter them. Pretty much. They are effectively begging him to show up and, and, and have demons carry them all away. Yeah. Now, some could argue after that, he took it a bit far. Cut to an inn where a couple of villagers are talking about an incident in which one of them is being forced to pay for having made another man blind by hitting him on the head with a shovel for having fucked his goat. Ha <laughs> ha! I was really not expecting a goat fucking story in here. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Like, that really is a case where you think, you know what? After losing so many shows, I thought that my Netflix subscription was becoming a bit redundant. But now, goat fucking. Now I've got goat fucking. And I I suppose I shouldn't have been surprised because this is Warren Ellis and Going off That's into, true. you know, introducing a scene and new characters with a story about a goat being fucked. That, that should not have been surprising at all. No, not really. Should have seen that coming. It um, should have been more shocking that it wasn't the first thing we saw. Yeah, right? That should have been the, it should have been the conversation that Dracula and Lisa had. <laughs> Suddenly, someone named Peter dashes to the inn, panicked, and tells them that a horde is on their way there. This leads the villager with the goat fucking story to complain about how all of this shit is the fault of the old houses. Worst of all, those Belmonts. And a dude in a furry cloak, sitting in a corner of the pub, finds this mildly distressing. Oh, I bet that's a Belmont, maybe. Credits! As we move on to episode two. That music doesn't play in any of this. Episode two, our villager continues to complain about how the little guy gets trampled while these old families get to live good and whatnot off of the fruits. Beshwidos Belmont and Belmont and then a Belmont. That's what he says. He goes Belmont. Dude in the cloak comes to the bar to get another flagon of ale, but while looking for his coin purse to pay, it does that comical comical sort of like checking every pocket and place that you could have money thing. Uh, I've never gotten to do that. Not like the proper, like just patting all over looking for a change. I do it constantly. Oh, I'm constantly doing it. And, And part of it is like a paranoid reflex. Like, where's my wallet? Right? And yeah. I would do that sometimes, like I'll panically, but I don't have enough pockets to do the whole proper pat down thing. I, I will wear a pair of jeans and, and, you know, so there's four pockets there. And then I'll wear a long coat that has two exterior pockets, two breast pockets on the inside, and then uh, a, another additional pocket in the lining at the bottom. And they're 
there could be shit in any of them. And my, yeah. my, yeah. my phone constantly jumps between all of these pockets because for whatever reason, I can't consistently keep my phone in one place. Yeah, you need to limit your pockets. That's what I need to. Yeah. That's what I do. Because otherwise, I'll lose things forever. That is the strategy, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, I don't use back pockets, especially because they used to show pickpockets on London underground trains all the time in Britain. So I never put anything in my back pocket um, because it'll just get lifted. That's what I tell myself. Uh, when I wear a coat, I only use the the inside pocket, the brass pocket. I don't use the the big pockets on the outside. Usually, I'll stuff receipts in there. Yeah, yeah. I I I used to keep a wallet in my back pocket, and uh, then I got a a wallet a couple of years ago that's designed yeah. specifically for the front pocket. Anybody who like sees us at conventions or anything wants to like pickpocket and yeah, steal don't... shit. Like like this is where we're keeping our stuff. Don't fucking bother. Because uh, we got this shit on lock. There's nothing in it, um, but, but it's like a, a it's squared on one side and then it curves like a front pocket at a pair of pants. Yeah. So it just snugly fits in there. It's it's nice. It's a nice wallet. Um, so anyway, the uh, he's getting the coins, looking for his coin purse, and the irate villager observes that he's got a family crest on his shirt. And he recognizes him as a Belmont. Wait, this is a Belmont? It's a Belmont! It's a Belmont! Uh, the dude denies he's a Belmont, and the villager helpfully fills in some exposition on the family, explaining that the Belmonts, a family of monster hunters, had their title stripped and were excommunicated by the church for being evil practitioners of black magic. Uh, the villager puts two and two together with all the black magic mucking about now and picks a fight with... The Belmont. Uh, the man only openly admits his identity as Trevor Belmont, the last of the Belmonts, after taking a big old kick to the vampire killer. Uh, a comical and somewhat laconic fight breaks out. He does that sort of I'm casually dodging shit thing. That, yeah, because uh, he's, he's better than this right. punk. Uh, he, he does get kicked again in the coin purse but uh, does subdue all of the patrons before stumbling out into the night. He awakes in a forest outside of Greshit and sees little option but to go there in search of sustenance. And outside the walls, he sees a demon with a baby in its mouth. Oh, God, he does. It's, it's quite and, and to draw, but to, it'd be one thing if we were just showed the demon with the baby in the mouth. Because then the scene cuts to show us the family. Oh, yeah, yeah. We need to see the grief. <laughs> it's not just grief. a baby in the mouth. And the blood-filled crib. Oh, God. I forgot about the crib. <laughs> He's reminded me of the crib, listeners. Thank you, Warren Ellis. God bless yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Truly a gentleman and a scholar, first and foremost. Uh, he also observes that the gates to Greshit are barricaded, so he seeks another way inside and finds a sewage pipe to crawl through, thus giving him an opportunity to complain about crawling through sewage for our amusement. Yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine? He had to crawl through, like, poo and wee. That does not happen in fantasy stories. I've never seen a fantasy story where uh, a character had to uh, enter or exit a location by going through monkey sewer pipes. Seriously, though, I couldn't laugh at this bit because I kept thinking about his lovely fancy cloak. Mm. Like, they be... even they were kind enough to show him lifting it up. 
Never going to get that smell out of, of the fur and the collar, though. I mean, that's just no. in there for life. No. But they showed him lift it up when he was, like, going across the water to get to the pipe. But when he was in that pipe, there was no way he kept that dry. No, no. Uh, once past a sleeping guard, he arrives inside the city walls to find things pretty fucked up, probably from all of the demon attacks. Yeah, I wouldn't move there. Corpses are being dumped in a pile under a bridge, which... See, told you, I wouldn't move. Don't go, it's a rough area. Wouldn't you put them up, wouldn't you, like, bring them to the wall and throw them over the wall? Don't you actually want to get the corpses out of the town, out of the wall? You're piling up corpses in in what could I mean I'm I'm assuming it's not an aqueduct but I mean clearly there's a bridge water probably passes through there I mean I can only assume that they're hoping that when they get attacked they'll just go for that just rather for than babies yeah, it's like they, they might get distracted by just the big pile of shit oh, to eat and tear up. That's a whole big pile of rotten corpses. Let's check that out. Yeah, like that's interesting and weird. Let's go look at that. Um, we'll do the babies tomorrow. Heading to market, Trevor buys some dried goat to eat and gets some local scuttlebutt, learning that the local town has no defense effort. But there's a group of speakers in the city that'll somehow get the demons to get them alone. It's a little vague what involving the speakers needs to happen. Uh, So as he eats his goat, Trevor talks with a few others in the market. He hears a a local legend about a soldier sleeping beneath the catacombs that can save the town. Uh, But is also warned that such stories aren't popular with the new bishop. And implies that the, uh, and an implication that the church is uh, no better than the monsters, uh, but they're pretty mm-hmm. much in control of things, at least during the daytime. Sometimes uh, I think man is the real vampire. Oh, that, that totally the monster uh, in us all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we humans are the Castlevanias. Some in the village are blaming the situation on that local group of speakers that have been hanging out. And uh, walking the streets, Trevor sees a speaker elder being walked around by a couple of priests who threaten him as he protests that the speakers have nothing to do with the demon attacks. The priest remarks that the speakers were told to be out by sunset and it's now the next day. So a reluctant Trevor intervenes and cuts a priest's finger off with his whip. Wow. Yeah. It's quite a whip. Uh, another priest attacks with a knife, and Trevor does a bunch of casual dodgy shit before whipping the man's eye out of his socket. That bit was, yeah, that was pretty wince. That that made me, ugh. He just cracked it right out. And it just pops out, like. Yeah, just... it's, it's something inherently worse, I feel. Like, I've seen plenty of uh, films and things with the old thumbs going through the eyes or like a knife or a sword or whatever go through an eye there's just something inherently worse about a big stingy whip doing it the now that you talk about it in this way i see what you mean i just like just like leather cord just slapping across your eye socket so hard it rips your eye out well and and it would have to get behind the eyeball with the tip of that whip to effectively yank it out. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Either that or it just it crushes the orbital socket so hard it squeezes the eye out. Right, right. Either oh. way, it's not good. Oh. 
Oh. Or, or you've got to hit the eye like dead on with such force. Right. That that the, that the eye's response to the force is to burst out. Like, right. It just and and, and sever the, 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 the uh, what, what do you call it? The optic nerve as it does. Yeah. The, the big, like the red rope and everything. <sighs> all the red elastic that's holding it all in place. Yes, that's it. Uh, so the wounded priests carry each other off, and the speaker thanks Trevor for his help, um, commenting on, hey, maybe you didn't have to be so violent, but what the hell. Uh, they walk to where the speakers, who uh, at this point they're implied to be nomadic, that gets established in dialogue a little later, uh, yeah, where they've settled. Um, we learn that there Mind are... you, if I walked into this shithole, I'd tell them I was nomadic. <laughs> On the way, we learn that there are 11 of them in total, but one of their group is missing. And so Trevor meets the rest of these speakers. They talk about their backward-ass oral history tradition, where they never write anything down, um, how the church is actually responsible for Dracula's attack because speakers were President Targovist when Lisa was burned at the stake, and the speakers, unable, unable to turn away from those in need, have decided that they have no choice but to remain in Greshit and help people. Uh, wow, guilt tripped much? The story just of this. Just a little bit. Hmm. Mm? Oh, no, no, just agreeing yeah, with you. Yeah. So the story of the sleeping soldiers recounted again, and it's learned that the story may be one told from the future. Fucking hell. Because magic is flexible like that. Why was this necessary? Why did this need to be a future story? I know. It's just it's weird to hear like old medieval people like say the word future. Because they generally like, have none? Well, yeah, I mean it's just not a word you see come up. I I guess they don't like to say it back then because because they don't like to be reminded right. of what they don't have. But uh the word future is in that context as in the concept of the future as just a, a an abstract thing feels futuristic or or at least modern mm -hmm. it doesn't feel you didn't feel like medieval people were talking about the future in any talk type well, they, of they, you know, they would say prophecy or visions or yeah. you know and so it's not like they didn't have or it's not believable that they wouldn't have the word future right but it always feels like they'd only use that in more immediate concern like contexts and yeah. there might be me just being weird, but no, I, 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 future things from the future is just such a strong sci-fi thing that you're right. To it, normally it would be like prophecies and things. And and Warren Ellis has a tendency to drop in these, uh, not mystical. Mystical's not the word that I'm looking for. Mysteries that may or may not ever be resolved, but just something to wonder about and wonder if it's important or whatever. He has a tendency to do this in his writing. And, uh, and I feel almost like that's what's happening here. That, 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 that he just wants to complicate matters to make them feel a little more complicated. Right. Uh, yeah. So, da, 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 da. <laughs> so the, the, uh, the, one of the speakers traveled into the catacombs seeking the soldier. And that's the one that's gone missing. So Trevor says he's going to hang out here, watch some people get slaughtered and move on. The elder tries to appeal to him on the basis that, you know, lots of innocent people unaffiliated at the church are going to die if they don't help. But Trevor, with no hint of irony whatsoever, 
pulls out an approximation of that old chestnut about how the only way for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Yeah, we love that. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, I'm just going to not do anything. Uh, and maybe, maybe it's self-loathing. Maybe Trevor Belmont just hates himself so much that he doesn't think of himself as a good man and therefore has no you know, need to triumph over evil. Yeah. But, uh, but it is kind of funny to have the good guy <laughs> say good people have to stand up to evil, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he tries to convince them to leave, but they won't because they will not leave the body of a missing speaker behind. They're like Marines like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And this one happens to also be the elder's grandchild. So there's a, you know, a personal connection. Trevor offers to find the missing speaker if the rest agree to leave before nightfall, warning that the good people of this town are totes going to come and slaughter them. Thus ends episode two. Episode, da, 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 da. <laughs> episode three begins with Trevor entering the catacombs through a mausoleum. He finds an unlit torch and observes that the oil is fresh. Dun, dun, dun. Continuing on, the floor crumbles underneath him at a point and he falls into a large open chamber with electric lights and a bunch of people who appear to have been turned to stone, including the speaker that he's looking for. A cyclops staggers into the room and begins firing... Oh, by the way, it's worth noting that um, all the other stone statues have things like legs missing yeah. and like half a head missing. It's just important to remember that right now because <laughs> later on, you will be thinking about them a lot and <laughs> then the scene will reward you for having thought about them. Yeah, it does take... And, and this is executed well because it takes the necessary time to establish that, you know, these other statues are broken. And uh, yes. in, in some way. Uh, so he fights this Cyclops. Uh, tumbling happens. There's some fun flippy knife work with the whip. Um, and the Cyclops is, is killed. Uh, and in precisely the way that a Cyclops needs to be killed in this scenario, a big knife goes right to its eye. Right. He got a big eye. Something's going through it. And it... Uh, the statue of the speaker turns back into a speaker named Sypha. Yes. And they talk about how rude it was that he jumped off her while she was made of stone. Yeah. And all the while, you're not paying attention to this scene because you're just thinking, those other broken statues, those other broken statues. And they, they, they don't worry. But they, don't yeah. worry. They'll don't get worry. there. They'll get there. Um... Trevor explains why he's there. She explains why she's there. Uh, he explains why that why she's there is probably a bunch of bullshit aimed at people to come down here and be a meal for the Cyclops. Um, when the Cyclops gets killed, people, you know, revert out of their stone state back to be people. Uh she tries to insist that this story about the sleeping soldier might still be true, but Trevor doesn't care. Doesn't have any interest in investigating further. <laughs> Gets her to agree to turn out, return home so he can fulfill his end of this bargain that he's made with the speakers. And as they're leaving, all of the other statues in the room then revert to their <laughs> fleshy, <laughs> their former fleshy. And Jim goes, yeah! 
us. <laughs> there's, you know, this full arbor guy that was missing like legs and arms, and it transitions back, and it's just they just start dripping from the empty spots, and it's so unnecessary. Yes. Uh, back with the speakers, Trevor again says that this whole soldier thing is a trap and that the electric lights and stuff are some serious Dracula shit and he wants nothing to do with it. So Trevor leaves in search of beer. Not an unwise move at this stage. No, I, I think, I think everybody should be out just getting ripped and waiting for the inevitable personally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were partying down like minutes before Dracula fucked everything up, so just carry on. Right, and and uh, Sypha at this point suggests that she would piss into a flagon and serve oh, yeah. two of his beer. <laughs> She's sharp. I like her. She's <laughs> all of the characters. Again, we said this. They're they're pretty well written. The dialogue is fun. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it's something that Ellis has a gift for, and uh, most certainly. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. So, uh, he's set upon, Trevor outside of the, where the speakers are hanging, uh, he gets set upon by priests who want to take him to the bishop in spite of his family's excommunication. Uh, so they do that. And at the cathedral, the bishop introduces himself to Trevor. They have a conversation about how the bish, about how the bish, believes it's an inconsistency of faith that's allowing Dracula to attack Greshit. And if they could just get rid of all of those pesky, non-believing speakers, this would all stop. If everybody in town just believed in the awesome power of God, Dracula wouldn't be able to kill them all with his demons. Makes I mean, sense. Yeah. Why not? Uh, again, at this stage, why not? Like, have a beer, believe in God, just do any, try anything. He says if Trevor just stays out of the way of this whole thing, maybe they can work something out this whole excommunication thing because the bishop has some designs on, like, global conquest. Like, Naughty bishop. Trevor returns to the speakers, saying that the bishop's insane, uh, and again tries to tell them to leave, but the speakers insist that they must remain and help the people... And they appeal to Trevor's family history and sense of tradition. And while it's clearly irritating to Trevor, he still insists that they need to leave. And so as the sun sets, everybody getting ready for a fun evening out. Demons start <laughs> taking to the skies. Villagers are lighting torches and grabbing their pitchforks. It's going to be a party. And the speaker's house is broken into by a mob of villagers and some priests only to find Trevor alone inside, who has hidden the speakers in the catacombs. Look at this fun cutaway. Great little cutaway shot. And I've, I have read some complaining on the internet, and I know uh, that's hard to imagine. I know, that's uh, the people, anomalous. The people would complain about that. Um, but in, in, uh, uh, at least one of the reviews that I read they drew a Family Guy comparison to. This I was about to say. I was about to say. I, I bet it's because people associate that kind of gag with Family Guy almost exclusively these days. It's almost like the Seinfeld thing, where that codified so much mm -hmm. that people associate anything as like a copy of that now. 
including Seinfeld itself as a as a tired old formula. Right. Um, and Family Guy has sort of taken the cutaway gag and made it its own thing. And anything that's similar to that now, just oh god, for, oh god, for, blah, Family Guy, blah. And here's but here's every, the difference. Everyone hates Family Guy. The difference between a Family Guy cutaway. Uh, which and, and don't get me wrong, I like Family Guy cutaways. Like, do I? I used to enjoy the show like a few years back. I, I kind of stopped enjoying it. Sure, uh, I, I used to like it. I have I probably haven't watched in three or four seasons. I, I I expect it's probably just as entertaining now as it was three or four seasons ago, and that's why I stopped watching. <laughs> uh, but on the whole, the gag is effective. And there's a reason why they drove it into the ground because the gag's effective and, and they had, they've had they had really good success using it. But the difference between the cutaways and Family Guy is that they are absurdist out of context when they're used most effectively. They come yeah. from nowhere, go into a direction you never could have anticipated. This is just a punchline. Yeah, no, it worked for for the context. It worked because it totally offset what had happened and was about to happen and just came at, ju- at the perfect moment right. to not undermine any of that but enhance it by showing just how serious it was right. with a good contrast, I felt. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, that kind of what what some would call a dissonance works together. Because one offsets the other and highlights how serious something can be. And it, and it's um, not just a matter of every element or, you know, this completely alien concept being shoved in. I mean, I think that that's where people have the issue is that, oh, you're just saying things that are totally unconnected to anything that's going on here and making a weird scenario. And that's very different from what's happening here. This this ties directly into the scenario. Yeah. It's, it's this is just a classic jump cut gag, except post Family Guy jump cut gags are in some people's eyes tied exclusively to Family Guy. Right. So uh, unfair, I think, uh, to to get too down on this. I think it's really well executed. Uh. Let's see. So that was them. Right. So he has a little chit chat with the priest in the speaker's old house about the situations going on, building up to a dramatic monologue about his family and their sacrifices to protect Wallachia, during which he removes his cloak to proudly reveal his Belmont crest emblazoned on his clothes. And he pushes past the priests, caving in the walls of the house to trap them inside as he passes. Uh, He's... Being as non-directly violent as he can, uh, which is an interesting, I mean, you know, a good guy thing to do, I guess. Yeah, it's, its its you know, Terminator 2. Yeah, you, you question, is he, is he doing it out of his own, you know, self-protective interest because, hey, it is a huge mob? Or is he trying to protect the mob? They don't really clarify, but he does at least make the efforts to... Uh, intimidate as uh, opposed to um, directly confront. Uh, once he's outside, he uses his whip to pull a big cross down off the top of the church. Um, he then runs through alleyways and you know sets in some oil on fire to stop some priests from pursuing him. Like he's making an effort. 
Uh, eventually, he does get cornered uh, by the priest whose eyes he earlier took, no less, I, singular, uh, and some fighting happens. He, he kills dudes at both close... He got over that really quick. I, I kept thinking about that. Like, he's not bothered. I'd still oh, be, like, eye? fairly traumatized oh, yeah. at losing an eye to a... Especially to a whip. I mean, it's, but he's patched up and ready. It's been a day, and he's already, yeah. you know, on his feet and figuring out job, that, not... uh, that, that, that lack of depth perception. Mm-hmm. Not even wincing. No. He doesn't even show any... He completely no-sells it. He just... That's amazing. Just full of fury. Outside, uh... Let's see. Oh, yeah, he fights that guy... He kills him, kills a few other people. So he shows that his his combat effectiveness is great. He could be taking out all these people. He's just not. And meanwhile, the demon's be coming. And that's uh, the end of episode three. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, episode four, as chaos runs in the streets of Greshit, the bishop be chilling in the cathedral. And the door to the sanctuary opens, and the bishop calls out, asking if the speakers have been dealt with. And the voice responds, no, and the bishop gets all pissy about how they need to be dead by sundown. And the voice, revealing itself to be a demon's as the Middle Ages equivalent of you're too late, dude. And they have a conversation about how the bishop's god doesn't really like what the bishop's been dishing. And after thanking him for paving the way for their arrival from hell, the demon eats the bishop head first. Pretty well executed yeah, a cool visually. Little scene. Yeah. 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 I like it. I like it because they show you the the bottoms of the priest's feet or the the bishop's feet just being lifted up, <laughs> <laughs> and some munching sounds, and then you get the shot of the demon from the back, so you never get to see the body. You never see the impressive violence on display that must be happening, which is a great contrast to all of the other very explicit violence we've been shown up to this point, and it's like, oh shit, man, that's gotta be gory if they've shown me dead baby crib. Yeah. This is bad. And that's just good filmmaking. Let good shit right there. Let let me fill in, you know, build up to something really awful, and then don't worry, you don't have to do anything to show it. You can just let me take care of it from there. It's it's the screen. The screen is not as effective as your own brain at conjuring. No, the worst things to fill in the blanks. Well, <coughs> Trevor runs through Greshit, pursued by priests and mob alike, when he gets surrounded. And as they're moving in to, to take him out, flames appear and encircle Trevor, keeping the villagers back. It's Sypha, who is apparently a practitioner of magic as well as a speaker. Trevor remarks on this a bit, but gets distracted by the priest he took the finger from earlier and calls him out in front of the villagers and lays the whole thing about the bishop having started the Dracula problem back in Targabeast and how the church was going to make murderers of all of these villagers and then the villagers just straight up murder the priest. Naughty bishop. Like it's it's so funny to me that yeah the Trevor they they do do they turn on a dime they, they, without any evidence. They, yes, there's no evidence other than the words of this excommunicated, disgraced who man. they've hated for years. Right. They've hated him just on his name alone. They've hated that name for years. Fully believe. 
that anyone associated with that clan is, you know, an evil corrupter associated with the Lord of Lies. But it takes a sentence or two to get them to turn on the priesthood. <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it's it's just utterly... He must have just been saying what they were all thinking. That's the only way that bit works. And, and I love the drama of, like, he makes it a big point to address this crowd and be like, he wanted to make murderers out of you. They're like, fuck it, let's kill him. <laughs> <laughs> They immediately go and be made murderers out of. They're just, they're stabbing this dude in the face. Just like, I can't believe I almost killed a guy today. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought about that. The demons begin their attack and Trevor starts organizing the villagers to defend. He sets up two lines of pikes, finds a proper priest for blessing holy water and asks Sypha to create a wall of ice to uh, make a path the demons will have to approach from. And has everyone with a sword coat them in salt. Apparently, Belmont's no monsters. Duh. A wave of demons arrive, and the plan is executed. And it works because, as I said, Belmont's know how to kill shit. With the demons dealt with, the ground starts to shake and fall from under Trevor and Sypha. This happens a lot. Like, what's up with the floors everywhere? <laughs> it's probably, like, set in medieval Mississippi. Fucking clay everywhere. <laughs> this uh, lands them in a deeper region of the catacombs than previously explored, and there's huge gears turning down here that they cram- they clamber across with their combined talents. Uh him with his whip, her with her magic, and finally fall through yet more decrepit flooring <laughs> and into a fancy-ass chamber with a red carpet and a big-ass coffin held up at an angle by machinery. Um, I love this idea of a sleeping pod that's, you know, there to restore someone's health that's also shaped like an ornate coffin. Indeed. I mean... They stay on brand. That's what I like about vampires. I, you know, Michael Jackson had that... It was a barometric chamber that he slept in. Mm. You know, kind of like an iron lung thing. And they could have done that. They could have made you know, a, a technologically badass-looking iron lung thing that you know. These are goddamn vampires. <laughs> They need a gold-lined, gold-filigreed coffin. Ah, oh, adorable. Beautiful stuff. So good. Uh, so this cap, this coffin opens up when Trevor steps on a, uh, a like a, a plate on the floor, and a blonde dude rises from it and asks why they're there. Sypha launches into this whole, I think you're a messiah that'll save us from Dracula thing. And the blonde guy makes the observation that this might not be a view held also by Trevor. Which it's not, because Trevor knows this dude's a vampire and suspects he might be Dracula. Because no one's ever seen Dracula. Except for, you know, all of those people who saw his face in a, you know, burning cloud of fire. loads of people. Trevor asserts that it's time he take up the old family mantle. That can't be Dracula. His face isn't on fire. He points out that the, the myth of the soldier being around for hundreds of years probably ain't this guy because all the shit here is in good condition and it's quickly established that he's only been here about a year. 
Uh, so the vampire challenges Belmont to prove that he's got the stuff to take down Dracula, and they do a fighting, dancing around each other. Trevor, having learned, you know, this is an example of a character undergoing a dynamic arc, right, and growing as a character, because he totally tries to go for Alucard's nuts as an attack. He learned from yeah. that uh, prior incident. It's not only ineffective, it's deemed lacking in class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Alucard doesn't like that. I mean, we're not supposed to know his Alucard yet, but he blatantly is. Uh, and he says, that, what, this isn't a bar fight. Directly, like, fourth wall breaking, referencing the fact that he was in a bar fight where this happened. Mmm, yeah. <laughs> that was a good, uh, very good callback, Joe. Yep, not, just cleverly inserted and subtle. Uh, they reach a point where the vampire and Trevor could kill each other, but they would die in the process because Trevor's got a stake partway into uh, the vampire's chest, the vampire's inches away from his neck, and Trevor's totally cool with that outcome, uh, which the vampire it's finds... a bit, bit nihilistic. A little bit, a little bit. The vampire finds this amusing. Uh, he also seems to be kind of chill with it, but Sypha intervenes. And in doing so, reveals she's got the magic, which the vampire seems to think makes everything all good. It's like, oh, oh, okay. It's like those villagers from earlier. It's like, it doesn't take much to get a, a turn from any of these people. <laughs> he introduces himself, as you pointed out, as Alucard, revealing that he's been chilling down here for the last year, healing wounds from when he tried to stop his dad from unleashing the forces of hell on earth. Fuck. So he asks Sypha to fill Trevor in on the other little details of the legend with the sleeping soldier. How that guy's supposed to be joined by a scholar and a hunter and oh shit! Wow, that sounds like a thing with the things. Alucard says his dad has to die and that the three of them can do it. So he puts on some clothes and they march out. I, I wonder why they didn't just make him naked. Why did they give him pants? Uh, probably didn't want to draw his donger. I mean, yeah. I'd have wanted to see some alicock. I mean, I wouldn't be against it. Yeah. It would make me alu hard. If they're, and if they're going, you know, this violent and bloody and gory, and it is Netflix, just give me a little dong. Just a, It'd be nice. You know. Little... You may just have to watch a, a demon eat a baby. The least we could get is a little bit of, a little bit of the day. Yeah, just a, a, a little pecker. But we didn't. No, nope, we did not. And this is how season one ends. Um, yeah. Uh, as they With things not getting as Castlevania as I'd have hoped. No, but I, I think they're going to get real Castlevania-y. Uh, I, know, I was just talking about a big veiny cock. <laughs> Cocklevania? Yeah, yeah, that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> just make sure it's not a co- cookery show because then it is Cocklevania. <laughs> not even a joke. <laughs> no, but now I know what I'm making for dinner. Oh, lovely. So, Conrad, did you like Castlevania, a Netflix original series, or not? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I, I mean, it's it's not done. That's the thing that I, you know, if it if this were all of it, I would be a little cooler on it. Um, because, yeah, you're right, it doesn't resolve anything. It, yeah, it's a prelude. Yeah. Uh, and it, so it's it's disappointing on the basis that it is just a prelude, that it is not a com- the complete story. I totally 
would understand Netflix's reticence to uh, to make the whole thing in one go, uh, as as it's sort of laid out episodically. Yeah, uh, but you know, you would have at least liked to have had a proper, at least some sort of real starter villain to conquer or something. Yeah, but we didn't get that. You as know, much the, as I, the bishop could have been that, but he wasn't yes. really. I love, I love. The that they have made a villain of the Catholic Church in such a way, uh, but they didn't give Matt Frewer enough work. Yeah, and I think just ending it on the the showdown with Alucard is, it's just, it's not a climax. No, it's it's very anticlimactic, and that's the main problem. Is the show season one at the very least is anticlimactic, and I think is best served with another season backing it up, which, you know, hopefully we'll get in the near future. Yeah, I mean, they, they uh, on the day that the series uh, launched on Netflix, they renewed it for the second season of eight episodes, which, if this is paced the same way, should be the entirety of the story. Yeah, um, that'll be something good. I, I also have to say... I mean, not that this wasn't good. This was This was highly enjoyable. It's just... The ending falls a bit flat. Yeah, it's it, it's it would be nice to get resolution from it uh, on some yeah. level, and this doesn't like feel I say, like nothing a really, nothing really happens here. Yeah, this should have been one of our longer episodes because even though it comes out to ninety minutes, being episodic by its very nature should mean more happens per episode, but it doesn't. Right, we it, kind of wrap this up fairly quickly for us at least I, compared to how long we can go there's a fair bit of downtime in what's there but the problem is that i don't think you can tell this story at least the story that it seems to be trying to tell in a 90 or 120 minute feature like the pacing isn't right for that the uh it, 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 i think it, i think it would be you could compress it down but I almost feel like you'd have to maybe get rid of a bunch of the speaker stuff. You'd have to axe a lot of the Catholic Church stuff that's there because I think that the next two chapters are going to have to be there's going to have to be a, a bunch of action and and shit going on in it. Uh, yeah, uh, they probably saved a lot of like recognizable monsters and scenes and stuff for that for the next season. So it's hard to imagine it fitting in a 120 minute feature but it's also not enough i think to really sustain 12 episodes of a you know a 22 minute right yeah um and and it gets some forgiveness there because it does a little bit of a tiny bits of retread in each episode to remind you and to sort of keep you invested and that's that serves double for filling the amount of time that they need to to get their twelve episodes. So I almost think like it if they were really careful about constructing this, um, and and of course it all depends on on what's to come. It might have maybe worked really well as two four episode sets, and and get a little more depth in the early on and and the second half. I mean, if it's just them assaulting Castlevania, you could probably do that action-focused and move through it quickly. I'm actually a little concerned, now the more I talk about it, how slow the remaining eight episodes might be. Well, we, we don't quite know how the structure will be next yeah. time. And, and, but we so do know there's knows? no Grant Dynasty. 
Right. And that that a little bit bums me out. <laughs> just a little bit. What bums me out more than anything else is that it's just called Castlevania, and it's not Castlevania something of something. Mm. Mm. They could call it Naughty Bishops of the Church. Yeah, let me see, let me see, let me see. What would be a... Hmm, a musical term... Eater of Babies. Night of Falsetto. And then you get your, your NF Netflix. There we go. Yes! Oh, that's brilliant. See, why don't they call it Night of Falsetto? Um, well, that's what we'll call it for season two. There you go. Which we will cover at some point yeah, when, when it's done. When it comes along. Uh, do we know what we're doing next time, Jim? Well, if I'd have planned ahead properly, right. and if I, if I knew dates and how to line them up, this week we wouldn't talk about Castlevania. We would have talked about Far Cry 5 Inside Eden's Gate. The, the the short movie they've brought out Ooh. about Far Cry 5. Um, but I didn't think ahead, uh, so I didn't do that. But that is the movie. I've got it on my phone here so I can uh, read about it and give you the full title. Yeah, Far Cry 5, Inside Eden's Gate. It's on Amazon Prime. All right. That's, so that, I'm sure that's that, going to be fantastic. Well... I mean, I'm I'm just going to use it to harp on about game companies saying games are so expensive to make. Oh. Well, they're there making short fucking movies. I'm, I mean, that really <laughs> helps make Far Cry 5 a better game, doesn't it? <laughs> fucking. The amount they fucking spend. Right, so Inside Eden's Gate, Far Cry 5, that'll be our next one. Um, and that'll be it, I think. Uh, you can follow Conrad on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman. Uh, we also do another podcast together, Fist Shark Marketing, uh, fistshark.com, or look for Fist Shark on iTunes or other podcast places. And that'll be it. We'll see you next time on Spin Off Doctors for uh, Far Cry 5 Inside Eden's Gate. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.